so yeah, that was very personal for me, you know, going at the world championships, you know, I felt like I was on a, a pretty good run. Um, like you said, Olympics, you know, to the, the NCAA, NCAA season and then winning Euros, winning the Mediterraneans. And then the, the worlds came around and it was like a punch in the face. Maybe I need, do need to take a step back and figure th- some things out here. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wrestling Change My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is the great Miles Amin, five-time All-American from Michigan, go blue, Olympic bronze medalist, and most recently, the silver medals at the European Championships this past spring. Loved having Miles on the podcast and hope you enjoy this conversation. Fan of the week goes to our friend Murph 71 who recently left an Apple podcast review. Five-star review. The Henry Cejudo experiment is incredible. I hope they do more stories like this. Thank you so much, Murph 71 and thanks to everyone who's left an Apple podcast review. For those of you who don't know, we do have other audio documentaries outside of the Henry Cejudo experiment, including The Smiths, Slaying Satiev, Escape from Inglewood, and Assembly Fall. All right, folks, let's get to the interview with the great Miles Amin. Just a quick update from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the episode. This episode is brought to you by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club, They were with us last year, and they're back to promote their upcoming summer camps. If you're in the PA area, check out these camps. Amazing clinicians. The first camp is June 27th through the 29th at the Spooky Newt Complex in Lancaster, PA. Clinicians include Mike Evans, David McFadden, and Brian Pearsall, who's the head coach at, excuse me, the head associate coach at Penn and a former Penn State wrestler. The Frog Ninja Wrestling Club is also doing a second camp in Oxford, PA, July 11th through the 13th. One of my favorite clinicians for this camp is Morgan McIntosh, who's an Army Green Beret, three-time All-American, and NCAA finalist for Penn State. He was also a three-time California State champ. He's going to be at the second camp in Oxford, PA. So register now at frogninjawrestlingclub.com. Miles Amin, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back. I loved it the first time. I think I've told you, you know, this is one of my favorite podcasts I've done. So 
it's a it's an honor. And it was so good to see you at the NCA's walking. And uh, yeah, I mean, appreciate the kind words as always. First and foremost, man, what a what a European Championships for you. I'm sure you wanted to win it, but that semifinal match, I probably watched that series or that sequence like 30 times, man. I mean, and then that picture afterwards was so epic. Like, what were your thoughts on the Europeans? Um, you know, I, I think uh, as I've grown uh, as a wrestler uh, and as a person. Uh, I've learned to kind of change my mindset and, and change it from like the approach of a zero sum game where it's, you know, I either win the tournament or it was, everything was bad um, to kind of being able to, to smell the roses a little bit, even while competing and saying like, Hey, that was something I did really well. Um, or, you, you know, you win, but you're like, all right, I got to make some adjustments. You know, I didn't wrestle the best match there. You know, that, that was kind of a, a low point. Um, and so when looking at the Europeans, for me, that was kind of a, a perfect um, example of like highs and lows. Um, you know, the semifinal uh, being down with 10 seconds left and uh, finding a way and then, you know, splitting open my eye and kind of just feeling all those emotions <laughs> run, not not only emotions inside. Right. But outside with all the blood pouring down my face. Um you know, that, that was, that was a great moment. And then, you know, turning around the next day and I, I know obviously, you know, Krugly of somebody I wrestled in 2016 at the, the European games or 2019 in the European games. Um, he's, you know, a solid opponent. So um, had to kind of, you know, refresh, hit the reset button and, and get ready for that final and came up a little short. And I think it was a perfect combination because, you know, I didn't get too high or low. I kind of just, you know, had a lot of really good takeaways from that tournament and learned a lot about myself. So it just reminded me why I love competing too. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's so fun to just go out there and just kind of just scrap, you know, and, and leave it all out there. Well, and your guys, it seems like you guys travel in a pack. You got, you got yeah. Savan, you got your brother. I know you got fine silver. You got a, you got a couple of guys that you guys take over on those trips, right? Do you travel together and kind of work out together when you're over there? Or how does that work? Yeah, so um, we went, when we went over there, it was uh, me, my brother, uh, Matt Fine Silver, and uh, Ben Honus coming from the uh, the Cliff Keen Wrestling Club, um, and then you know Stevan, uh, he now has the the Galaxy Wrestling Club in Chicago. Mm -hmm. But um, I actually was just visiting Stevan this past weekend uh, in Chicago area, so. You know, nice. Stevan's like one of my best friends. So even though he's, you know, not with, with the club anymore, he, he's like, well, Michigan man through and through one, but also just, you know, somebody I talk to almost every day. So, you know, it's pretty cool when we go over there. It's, it's, you like you said, it is a pack and it, it makes it more fun when you're in a remote place <laughs> across the world and you have, you know, all your friends with you, um, you know, that makes it really a cool experience. So, um, yeah, I, I think I look forward to trips like that versus ones where like, oh, it's just going to be me, you know, or, uh, but even just traveling with Sergey, I mean, that's, that's fun in itself because that guy has, you know, thousands of stories that <laughs> would blow your mind. So, um, yeah, I, I think we, you know, really blessed to just have the the crew that I do. Yeah. When you walk into a tournament with Sergey Belglazov behind you, that's, that's a good feeling. Yeah. And, and, and you'll, you'll know too, because uh, you know, when you, especially when you're, you're closer to Eastern, the closer you get to Eastern Europe, the more people will go out of their way to take a picture, get a handshake. You know, he's like a celebrity over there and then he's very humble about it, but still, still. That's crazy. Um, when I was doing the Cejudo doc, I interviewed Doc Bennett 
over at USA Wrestling, and he said, this is like 2005 Junior World. Sergey was the coach. Sergey got in a day later from Team USA. So it's Doc Bennett, Sean Bormat were the coaches for the junior team. Angel and Henry on, were on the junior team. They get over there somewhere in Europe, super Eastern Europe. And Sergey gets in, and Doc gets a call that the hotel worker won't let Sergey stay there because it's it's a three-star hotel and that he should be staying in five-star hotels and that he would be <laughs> fired if he were to allow Sergey to stay at this hotel. And so during the 05 Junior Worlds, Sergey was staying across town while Team USA was in probably a decent but not a five-star hotel. Like, again, seems so crazy. You're like, is that real? But I think it might be. Like, he's that popular over there. Yeah, I, it's funny you bring that up because I remember um... – I'm trying to think of who was on the trip, but Yusuf Hamida was one of them uh, for Cliff Keen Wrestling Club. They went over to like Yakutsk, which yet yeah, like, you know, basically Siberia. And uh, they said that um, they he basically put up the wrestlers in a hotel and then Sergey got bussed over to another hotel and they were kind of <laughs> mad about it. But it turned out kind of similar to your situation that like the delegates and the people that were hosting the tournament said like they refused to let Sergey stay at the wrestlers hotel. He needed to stay you know, I like the nicest hotel in the city. And so <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because, you know, I can attest that you're, 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 that's a hundred percent probably a true story. Which is like, imagine if Kale comes to Chicago and tries to stay at the downtown, the Marriott, they're going to let Kale in like it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He could stay at a Motel 6 and they're like, hey, be my guest. Come on in. Yeah. That's a uh, man. That's just, so the fact that you get to tr travel with this guy and obviously train with him every day, it's just, it's so amazing. I can't wait to dive into it. Go, let's go back to that semifinal match though. That drag you hit, is that something you drill in like those 10 minutes or 10 second sprints? Or is that just something that just happened to be there and you hit it? Uh, I would say it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, obviously uh, there there's always kind of that sixth sense that you have when you're in a match, um, you know, you black out and, it just kind of happens in a way. Um, I, I would say my Olympic uh, bronze was or medal match was very similar to where um, I drilled both those moves time and time again. And, um, you know, just being in the front headlock position, we spent a lot of time there, whether it's underneath or above and, and sparring. Um, but it's funny because Sergey really did kind of show me both those moves, the, the drag from the front headlock and then the kind of misdirection go behind. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we spend a lot of time in those positions and it's not necessarily drilling. It's more sparring. Um, I would say that's kind of where the feel comes from, because when you drill it, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like it would in a match, but you know, that situation there where, you know, I take that shot and I'm, I, I almost was like trying to get underneath, you know, just knowing like, Hey, I can do something if I can just get underneath this guy. Um, and so, yeah, it, it just kind of came, <laughs> Nothing. I mean, it's very rare. I wouldn't say nothing, but it's very rare that, you know, you you create something um, live in a match that you've never done before to practice. Um, I think, you know, you know, practice makes perfect kind of situation. Well, that that um, that drag is something. When I watch a lot of John Smith, you start to see him do that in like the like 91, 92, where everyone was ready for the low single. So he would hit the low single and automatically go to that drag. And then. Yeah. Pat Smith started doing it too at 92 all-star match. He hits it like three mm -hmm. times, low single drag. It's just like, it's when you're thinking that far ahead, it's, it's a scary situation. And yeah, I figured you had, you had hit it a bunch, but yeah, it, it was so pretty, man. In that match to see you do that. It's like, man, get in there. Drag so, out. Yeah. I'm thinking about it now too. And I, I, 
I'd be remiss if we I didn't talk about this. The day before I was competing, uh, Stevan had already wrestled and I'm in their hotel room. And we were actually talking about the short drag because Stevan hit it in his match against the French guy that he wrestled. And I was saying, you know, I, I you know, I've been drilling that a lot lately and, and I really like it. All right. Like you take a shot, a guy puts too much weight, you know, so you're like you're caught underneath and you drag out. And they were they were talking about it. And then go figure the next day I hit that move. So it was wow. kind of funny because I did give him a shout out. Uh, Mr. Michich, Stevan's dad. I was like, hey, look at like we basically, you know, spoke it into existence there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, he uh, I forgot that Stevan's in uh, in Chicago now. Is he at Beat the yep. Streets? Is that where that's that fa- um, the facility? Is that what they're using? Yep. Yep. So they're at Beat the Streets. I was there on uh, Friday. Beautiful facility. How nice way. is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's incredible. And obviously, you know, coach Powell and, and those guys, they know what they're doing. So um, it didn't surprise me, but I mean, I, I was, I guess I was a little surprised because I was like, man, this is one of the nicer wrestling rooms I've been in easily. And it's all fundraised. I mean, that's, they're doing such a good job at beat the street Chicago and they're a big partner of ours and, and Mike Powell, the man and, and his supports team. Um, there's a lady, Kathy Yen, who is the details lady and really makes it happen. But that facility is like one of the nicer ones, like you said, in the state, um, you know, maybe not the country, but for Beat the Streets facility, yeah. so beautiful. And so what's what's Stefan doing there? Is he is it Stefan or Steph a V or an F? It's a V. Stefan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's he's running a, a club there. That's where he's training out of these days. Yeah. Yeah. He's training out of there. Um, I think their vision is a little bit different than, you know, what a typical RTC vision would be. Um, they have more of an international vision where they can host, you know, guys from, um, Azerbaijan, or they have some guys right now training there from Kazakhstan. Um, so just kind of bringing guys in, you know, from all over the world to kind of train and basically focus specifically on freestyle year round, you know, whereas a normal RTC, sometimes you, you focus a little bit more on folk style or at least wrestle with the college guys right during the college season. I think they are, have the vision of basically a freestyle international club, you know, like the, in a, in the truest sense. Wow, I need to get a hold of him because that's sweet if he has like these international guys in town just to even go watch. I mean, I know uh, Brian Medlin at the Illinois RTC. He has quite a few international contacts, and it's like, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of good guys between Illinois and Michigan right now. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think Medlin uh, and Stevan and the Michiches they've been trying to to figure some stuff out because yeah, they have that guy from uh, Slovakia, I think, who just yeah. won a medal at the. Europeans training out, yeah, or the Euros, yeah, training out of there, yeah, which is like crazy. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of exciting stuff going on with wrestling right now. And when you look at, you mentioned something I want to hit on. Like sometimes you're training a little more folk style than you are college. When you look at a RTC like like Cliff Keen, one of the top ones in the country, where you have guys like yourself, like your brother, Fine Silver, you know, Honus, that are full time freestyle. What's a day in the life like for you guys? Like during this time of year. You doing two a days? Like, what's that look like? Yeah. So, um, leading up to the Europeans, usually uh, our two a days are more, you know, um, geared in, uh, towards training camps. So when we have like, uh, you know, the U.S. Open, the Europeans actually lined up really nice this year. So we started our two a days, you know, kind of in the beginning of March, um, and it was about a six to eight week cycle um, of, you know, our two a days on Tuesdays, Thursdays for wrestling. And then, you know, two a days, uh, you, we, at least for me, I'd get my lift in 
um, on Mondays, Fridays, and uh, even one on Wednesday. But so about, you know, roughly seven to eight workouts a week. Um, and then cross training on the weekend. Um, but really, yeah, the, the best part is the, the summer is, is all us, right. Um, you know, everybody's focused on freestyle, maybe a few guys focused on folk style, but ultimately, you know, Sergey's running practice or KJ's running practice, or Sean's, you know, any of our coaches could be running practice, but it's really going to be mostly geared towards, you know, freestyle and, you know, getting ready for these summer tournaments or the world championships. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've had some great numbers as far as the college guys. Um, I think they've really bought into, even if they're not competing freestyle, that freestyle can help their folk style wrestling. And so, um, you know, it's been really cool to see that kind of come to fruition since, you know, when I was a, um, a freshman, you know, we had Andy Rovat here who had that same vision and, uh, you know, I was the folk style guy coming in, not really having any freestyle experience. And he, you know, he's kind of, he, I I've known him my whole life. So he was the one saying, Hey, Miles, it doesn't matter if you don't wrestle freestyle like, or compete, but like, I'm telling you, you it's going to help your wrestling. So you might as well do it. And, you know, I, I bought into that system and, you know, it's, it hasn't changed since. And, um, I would say it's helped my wrestling. <laughs> yeah. It's like, isn't it and, funny that you still have to have that debate sometimes? Yeah, it's crazy, right? I mean, I, I I think there's a time and a place, right? If you're wrestling freestyle three weeks before the NCAA tournament <laughs> and you're, you know, you're <laughs> a college guy, that's probably, you know, not the best time to be doing it. But, you know, summer wrestling, it's just, it feels right to be wrestling freestyle or, or Greco, but, you know, yeah. one or the other. And so you guys do it in like, like six to eight week training windows. That makes sense. That's kind of how you structure a ramp up time. So what what's your next event at this point? Um, so leaning towards, um, there's, there's a tournament in, in Kyrgyzstan, um, in about four weeks, um, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at potentially going there. Um, and that, you know, that would gear up or, uh, line up well with final X. Um, you know, we got some guys going to final X to wrestle third place matches and to wrestle for the spot. Um, and then also there's, uh, uh for sure I'll be going to the, um, the ranking tournament in July, which is in Budapest, Hungary. That's about, about two and a half months out. So, you know, 10, 10, 12 weeks. Um, so yeah, we, we got a busy summer. Um, you know, we're even looking to do a training camp overseas here in the next few months. So, um, I'm really excited. It's, it's like, you know, for me, uh, this is like, my favorite time of the year is, you know, leading up to the world championships, all the, the fun summer freestyle wrestling. Weather's getting nice. Weather's getting nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Midwest. We don't take that for granted. You know? <laughs> Dude, I, you know how it is. We got a nice spell about three weeks ago and ever since then, it's just been, it's been the doldrums of winter again, man. It's brutal. I can't wait for it to, to, uh, to turn around here. Totally. So the, the tournament in Kyrgyzstan, that's when you're starting to get like when you start having countries with Stan at the end, you're getting closer to the motherland. Right. And, and obviously yep. the ultimate is Dagestan. Have you ever been over to Ossetia or Dagestan with, with Sergey? Nope. Uh, so right when uh, the furthest I've been is uh, Minsk, Belarus. Um, that's about the closest I've got to Russia. Uh, but I guess the you know, war though, I kind of forgot about the war. That yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. We've, yeah. I, you know, that's, that leads to right into what I was going to say is I've been asking Sergey since last summer, uh, to go to Russia or, uh, you know, Dagestan or Sedia or see where we can go for training camp. And, um, you know, we just, we've gotten a hard no, <laughs> both from San Marino and from the U S uh, just sounds like it's, it's not going to happen until, you know, the war is over. 
Um, so the next best option is we've been looking at places like Tbilisi, Baku, yeah, um, you know, and and trying to get close and uh, you know, as close as we can, like you said, but to where it's you know, there's no danger. I guess there's always danger, but you know, the the danger is minimized, and mm-hmm. you know, we can get at least an okay. Yeah, Baku and Tbilisi would be sick. Those are two spots I also think of. Like you're in the heartland at that point of wrestling, and it's it's big time. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that, that's that's what you need, right? I mean, either that or they come over here, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, we want the best of both worlds. We want to try to get both to happen. So, plus, it's exciting just to go. I'm sure you know, like anyone, like exploring new places is part of the cool part of senior wrestling. Yeah, yeah, I'm very passionate about traveling. Even when I'm done wrestling, I want to you know, continue to travel the world. So this is like, uh, you know, a good way to do it and get it paid for <laughs> yeah. on top of it. And so, and, you know, and also just grow my wrestling skills. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's a great situation. So when you, what, now that, now that I'm thinking about it, you got Derringer in the room, he had a great us open, um, you know, not, you know, I'm sure he would have wanted to win, but still the way he handled Starachi was really kind of eye opening. Um, are you guys working out a lot? Like, is that your, he's still at Michigan, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Ringer is my, he's my go-to guy. I mean, he and I, Dude. yeah, we, we scrap and uh, you know, the, the tough thing is, is he, a lot of people don't know this, but he had hip surgery in September um, and he was out basically until late February. Um, not even touch the mat. I mean, he maybe got some, some stance in motion in, but he didn't really, you know, wrestle a live go until after NCAAs this year. And uh, he pulled up to the open, right. About a a month of training. And with that, you know, with that kind of training cycle, he still wrestled like that. So, um, you know, that's something that he probably wouldn't tell people, right. Cause he's a really humble guy, but I feel like it's, it's gotta be said because, you know, just the way that he turned around and competed um, for, you know, that short amount of time of being back was, you know, eye-opening for everybody in the club. You know, I think everybody, like you said, he would have wanted to win it. And, you know, my money was on him all along. But, um, you know, he still came and and he wrestled his butt off. And <laughs> he looked yeah. like he didn't skip a beat. That's what I, And I told him the first time we wrestled, you know, we wrestled a live match. And, uh, you know, we were both laying on the ground for about 30 <laughs> seconds after. And I said, dude, you were off of wrestling for six months. <laughs> I'm like, I'm telling you right now, like, you don't, you don't feel like you missed, you missed a second. So he just trained so hard though. And that, and that really showed it at that tournament that he's able to turn around like that because of what he's willing to put in, in that short amount of time. Isn't it crazy that the U S guys are basically done though. And because of, unless you made it to final X, I mean, it's kind of weird to think about that, right? Yeah. It's a hard pill to swallow. Um, like you know, that's and, it. and I'm fortunate, you know, I guess in a way to, to not have to, to experience that. Um, because, but, you know, I but know you still go guys. to all these tournaments. though. like a lot of U.S. guys do do that circuit like DeSanto did the tournaments. But a lot of guys also don't do all the ranking tournaments. You know, I don't understand that sometimes. Yeah. And you guys are dedicated with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think um, there's a there's a healthy balance. Um, you know, I, I think about this pretty often. But, you know, being an internet now an international wrestler, but a former college wrestler, Right. I stacked up about 140 matches. I think something like that, 140, 150 matches within my college time span. And I I really do think that you have, you know, a finite amount of wrestling matches in you to where injury, you know, becomes a factor or, you know, just, you know, overuse becomes a factor. 
Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of different variables that play into competing and how often you compete. Um, like what the one I just said, and then maybe a little bit of strategy of like, you know, hey, I don't want to compete too much because I might be working on some different tactics, you know. And so uh, it's it is a really interesting part about the international scene that in college, it's just like you wrestle like, you know, like it's very rare to just like skip dual meets, you know, maybe a little bit more. It's more common now, but you're not skipping half of, you know, the later latter half of the season and just showing up to the Big Ten tournament. You know, you're usually putting together, you know, five or six weekends before you you go to the, you know, mm-hmm. the big ones. Yeah. And then. <clears throat> Like you said, you said something that's really interesting is like, you may not want to compete if you're working on something. And it kind of reminds me of like a stand-up comedian where they might just do an hour. Then the year after they're putting together new material to have that freedom at the, at your level where you're not competing every week. And you probably do get to spend like two, three, four weeks on one position and really trying to make some material gains in a certain position. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about now. I mean, um, I, I kind of came onto the international scene, uh, with a bang, uh, you know, winning some medals my first year on the senior level and then qualifying for the Olympics. And I felt like a lot of the, the techniques or the, the technique that I really was utilizing was a lot of low ankle slash, you know, knee pull singles. And, um, they were working <laughs> time and time again until, you know, after the Olympics, it was probably when I realized that, you know, I, I kind of have to to switch up a little bit of my strategy here. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just work on some new things because the more you're on the scene, the more people are going to watch your film, you know, the more people are going to continue to, um, scout you. So you just have to keep evolving and it's hard to evolve if you're competing every weekend, right. Or if you're, you know, competing every few weeks, because, you know, at this level to, to change your style, you know, you already know so much and your habits are so ingrained that, you know, it really does take kind of hitting a reset button and, um, you know, some time really time is, is the biggest factor to, you know, being able to change those things around. So would you say, cause you were on such a whirlwind for a while there, man, like Olympic medalist team 100, and then the world championships this past year, I'm sure you wanted to be on the podium, didn't get there. Was that a little bit of a reset for you coming off this world's the most recent yeah. one? Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, these over these last like even six months, um, you know, a little bit just trying to stay healthy, um, you know, trying to put together just like a good training cycle was, you know, a struggle. And um, that's where I, you know, like I said, timing becomes a large factor of like, oh, you know, we don't know why a guy takes time off, but a lot of times there's probably a pretty good reason. Um, and sometimes when you try to overcompete, you know, to, to get back on track, it actually just kind of becomes a downward spiral. And I felt like, you know, that was kind of the case for me, um, over the, like, you know, from the world championships. Um, and then I went to the, the Bill Farrell and kind of lost a, a match that I knew I shouldn't have. Um, I went to the, um, ranking tournament, the first ranking tournament just felt like I wasn't competing at my best. So it's, it's kind of funny how, you know, you go through these, these phases of like, you gotta, like you said, hit the reset button and, um, and just try to figure out like, Hey, what can I change? You know, both, or there's three factors in my opinion, physically, mentally, and tactically. Right. And so, um, you know, that's, that's a, a never ending process. I feel like in the sport, because, you know, just the wrestling is always evolving and, 
Um, so yeah, that was very personal for me, you know, going at the world championships, you know, I felt like I was on a, a pretty good run. Um, like you said, Olympics, you know, to the, the NCAA, NCAA season, and then winning Euros, winning the Mediterraneans, and then the the worlds came around, and it was like a punch in the face, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you know, like, hey, maybe, maybe I need do need to take a step back and figure th- some things out here, um, and you know that's that's what I think I'm doing now, um, and continuing to do, you know, even coming off of Euros, that's why, like I said earlier, you know, you you, you can't get too high or low because you know it's always about the process and growth. And so for me coming off that tournament, I was like, you know, we, we got to get right back to the drawing board. And ultimately this is an Olympic qualifying year. So the world championships are going to be, you know, kind of the, the, the target, uh, or, you know, that, that bullseye year. That, I'm, that I'm aiming for. So what, how do you qualify for the Olympics at the worlds this year? So it's going to be t- top five guys. And if, um, so it's true five before it was actually six. Um, but now there will be a wrestle off between the two metal, uh, the guys who lose in the metal match to determine who the fifth guy is. That's going to be brutal to come back from that at the tournament. Like you, yeah. so you're saying the bronze. Yeah. So if you lose that bronze metal match, you got to turn around and wrestle again. Oh Yeah. Wow, oh, yeah. that's just win the bronze medal match if you were in that one. That's all. Just be done yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah, get it over with. I mean, God forbid if you don't get it done there. Like I just remember, maybe it was like Zadik or maybe it was Jo. Like that Olympic qualifier tournament's always in like Mongolia, like somewhere just oh, yeah. middle of nowhere. You know, and those that seems like a brutal tournament to have to go to. That Olympic qualifier tournament. It's like so. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what makes the worlds before the Olympics so exciting. Yeah. I mean, everyone's, you know, fighting tooth and nail because they know that that process of, you know, European qualifier and last chance qualifier, um, they're almost harder than the world sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just depending on where you are on the bracket or what your draw looks like. Well, and for all you guys who went to the Tokyo Olympics, I got to imagine a little bit of Ichi is like, I want to go to the Olympics when the fans are there. Like, is that something that's been in your mind at all? Or is that something the fans kind of make up? Yeah. Um, you know, I think my, my personal goals kind of trump everything, but then a very close second is like, you know, I know that my support system has been uh, a, kind of a vital part in my success and um, you know, my immediate family, um, my extended family, the Michigan wrestling family, like all these people, you know, I have really an army behind me. So I wanted them to be able to experience what I got to in Tokyo, um, you know, going into Paris. And uh, that was a big reason why I was like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to run it back. Um, You know, it just felt right. You say the army, we were at the NCAAs this year. And for one of the sessions, my brother and I snuck, snuck down to like really good seats to watch the quarters. And uh, I didn't say that officially, but unofficially snuck down (laughs) and uh, we, we saw some seats and we were sitting like five rows behind you. And I was explaining to to Tanner, I'm like, that's the Amin Mafia right there. And you had the team Amin hat on. And I think, I think, um, so Cam is your cousin? Yep. Yep, Yeah. He's my cousin. He might've been wrestling. It was Kennedy or Hamidi. And it was, it was close, man. And you guys were going crazy. And it's just so fun to watch the Amins. Like you guys all just support each other so much. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big, you know, we grew up wrestling together. Our dads, you know, were kind of, they wrestled together in college. They were inseparable. And then, you know, my grandpa was the one on my dad's side who started wrestling uh, for Lebanon. So Olympian, um, you know, 
Yeah. An Olympian. I, I don't know if I mentioned that last time. I think I did, but uh, so, you know, we have a lot of tradition in our family. We want to, we want to carry that on that tradition, um, you know, as, as long as we can. And, and so we take a lot of pride and not just the winning and losing, but just the, you know, competing and, and the values that the sports brings uh, the sport brings. So, yeah, we, we're a tight knit family and, and, you know, we look to keep it that way and, and we wear our heart on our sleeve for sure. I mean, Man. we're usually the loudest people in the stands when one of us is competing. I just want a team of mean hat and I'll be, I can, I can rest easy. Cause then, uh, you walk in with that thing on like, man, feeling good about yourself. Hey, yeah, you gotta, you gotta put it officially on this podcast that my dad, my dad is in charge. He's of the, the guy, man. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, get Mr. Ryan a hat. <laughs> Mr. Mike Amin. Let's go. Let's make it happen. Um, but no, I, I was, I was thinking about, you know, your family lineage and your uncle, you know, your, your dad, your uncles, your grandfather, your cousins, and you know, you guys have been through a lot of wrestling. You've seen a lot of wrestling. I was watching the U-17s this weekend, and the, the competition level is so ludicrous to me. Like, some of these high school kids are beating senior-level kids. I mean, it's just nuts to me. When you were in high school, were you one of these U-17 phenoms, or were you coming on a little bit later? Um, I was probably somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I, I had won... Uh, I won the senior nationals um, my, my senior year in high school. That was kind of the the cap on my high school career. Um, I was an all American at Fargo and, you know, a couple other, you know, flow nationals. I was always, but like, I never was winning those tournaments. Like I was always kind of looking at the guys that were winning them and like, oh, I'm just not there yet, you know? And um, so that was, um, you know, I think that was a big reason why, you know, I stuck it through and just kept working those. Cause I knew like I was good enough, but, or, you know, I was, I was good, but I wasn't good enough yet. And, but I wasn't bad either. Right. <laughs> Cause sometimes, right. you know, it's like, if you're a senior junior senior in high school and you're, you're a state placer and, you know, you go to these international tournaments or national tournaments and you're going one and one or, or one and two or whatever it is, it's tough to see the light at the end of the tunnel and be like, how am I going to get to that point? But for me, I was, like I said, kind of right on the cusp, but like I had to push to get to that level, you know, and I knew that there were some things that I needed to change or just needed to keep working at um, in order to kind of bridge that gap. Um, so, yeah, I was, you know, I, I would say I didn't really come into my own until my, you know, at the end of my redshirt year, um, even in the fall, I had some big wins right off the bat um, coming into my first year in the lineup. And I kind of knew like, okay you know, we can ride this momentum and, and, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, we're, we're in a really good spot at the NCAA tournament. Um, and then I just kind of catapulted off of that. Well, and I bring it up because you look at some of the guys who aren't placing or who aren't, who are placing, but not winning it. Like, you know, they're really, really good. And I just, I, I sit there and watch, I'm like, man, so many guys who are, you know, yeah, there's the David Taylors who've been good all the way from the get go and they're still good now. And you know, like yourself, Fargo All-American, you know, that's that's super elite. But it's like there's still hope for these kids who aren't like the U-17 champ, you know, like that. That There's mm -hmm. always development coming and it, it's a long process, you know, it's like because yeah. it's just so I just don't remember like that Fila Cadet tournament being that popular back in the day. And now it's it's maybe bigger than Fargo. Um, and it's just like crazy to me how many good kids are not even placing in that tournament. It's, it's just like overwhelming. It kind of like, <laughs> I woke up Monday morning. I'm like, 
I'm should be thinking about work. I'm thinking about some of these high schoolers who are just out there scrapping, laying it on the line and are like probably a little frustrated, but it's just, there's just so much wrestling to go, you know, even when you're yeah. in high school. Yeah. And I, I would say to add to that, it's like, that's probably the hardest results to recruit off of is like the U 17, like cadet level, like tournament, because like when it comes down to it, like you said, there's probably eight guys that are potential recruits, right? Right. Like the eight guys that, that placed and, um, you don't know, like you think it would be an easy, it would be a shoe in like, Oh, let's recruit the number one or two guy. But I think that a big part of success in wrestling, you know, just in my opinion is your love for the sport, you know, and at that level, it's really hard to measure because those guys still live at home, right. With their parents. So you don't know, is it their parents that are pushing them, you know, to, to get to this level or is it themselves, you know, and when they get away from home, are they going to have that same level of discipline and hard, you know, hard work and, you know, all those that love that same love for the sport when, when nobody's telling them that they should be doing those things. And um, so that, that's, what's so interesting to me is when I watch that, I'm like, you know, I, it's almost like a fun game to play. Like, you, you know, is that guy going to be, you know, a national champ or, you know, like national champ or bust, like, and, and you just don't know. That's why it's almost like literally like, you know, throwing your, your money on the roulette table and picking red or black because just so <laughs> that's why I give a lot of credit to, to college coaches because Man, that's a tough game. I was gonna say I don't envy Coach Bournemouth's role, man. That's that's a tough, tough job. I mean, and a lot of work, and even now more so with with the portal and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. was that so? You graduated just last year. It seems like it seems like a lot longer ago in my mind. So the portal was coming on later, but at the early years of your college career, that really wasn't a thing, right? No. Yeah, not not at all. I mean, it was rare to see guys transfer because I believe that transferring from Big Ten to Big Ten uh, or transferring in conference, you'd have to sit out a year on top of, you know, just there being no money involved in doing it. Right. So, um, you know, I didn't really see that stuff until when I was on the way out. I was just kind of getting a glimpse of it. And I was listening to our first podcast this morning, which folks listening, uh, it's episode I wrote it down here. 359. But <clears throat> you were talking about how when you when you were in high school deciding to go to Michigan or you went to Northwestern and Stevan hosted you there. Uh, and then when he came to Michigan, you were hosting him on his, on your trip. So it's just like it just kind of reminds me of that portal era and like, you know, a little bit more movement. And uh, it's cool that how you guys are still, you know, still friends all these years later. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we that uh, that, that Stefan and I look back on that like it was almost like destined to be right that <laughs> you know that we just happened to be in you know those two places at the same time and then you know me kind of making that decision even after he was like, dude, you should have came here and then he called me a couple months later like, no, you shouldn't have. I'm coming to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just you know, it's it's crazy how things work out. Now, did you watch a lot of the U.S. Open this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was watching pretty closely. Um, we had a lot of guys, uh, you know, competing and then, you know, just for me, it's, it's one of the best events of the year, just high level wrestling. So, um, yeah, it was, I watched most of it. Are the refs confused on the caution and one? Yeah, dude, it is. You're going to get me going here. That is so frustrating to watch that. I'm like, what, why are they calling it like that? I mean, so uh, it was funny because I was in the room yesterday and we were talking about it. And I said, like, the whole point of the push out rule is to reward the wrestler, you know, that's that's pushing the guy out. Right. And and to basically to um, 
uh, what's the word, to penalize the guy that's not fighting in. That's why you get a point. So now why are we giving two points for that? Like the whole, the one point is, is not enough. Like you're basically giving a takedown. It's becoming sumo wrestling in a way. Um, because like, so, you know, I just, I hate it. And, and then on top of that, it's like, but if, if you push me to the edge, right. And I drop down on my knees and then you push me out on my knees, I'm not trying to wrestle you either, but I don't get any points for doing that if I'm the offensive guy. Right. So it's just, it's kind of, they got, they got to figure some stuff out. I mean, who knows if they will, but. um, I don't remember there being a lot of issues of like, I don't know what this rule is solving for. Like, I don't remember too many instances of guys running off the mat like that. I mean, maybe there was one or two, but like, I don't like, I get, they're trying to say, Hey, you can't back straight out, but I'll get, I'm like, I don't remember that being a big issue. Yeah, I don't either. And And I think it's even worse when it happens at the end of matches um oh. like I, I mean bartlett lee was was tough to watch joke, bro that's a joke that's it a was tough joke. to watch i mean i, I like I, I had no favoritism toward either wrestler i was you know excited you had a penn state penn state matchup and obviously like a you know past versus present you know and i just thought man bartlett should have won that match like there's he he has the right he's winning 10 to 8 right and there's five seconds left. Of course, he's not going to want to wrestle. Like he, he doesn't have to. He wrestled for five minutes and fifty five seconds. You know, so for them to to go caution and one on top of that, and he loses off of that, was just like, oh come on! Like this, like if, that's got to you. That's got to change. If he can back back away without going out of the circle, that should be part of the rules, right? I mean, like, yeah. like if you can if you can be defensive and stay in bounds, like it's just oh my god. And the problem with it is. I don't know what it was like at the Euros, like if you're seeing it that much or if this is just American refs going a little crazy with it. But to me, it just opens up a lot of judgment, ambiguity, scandal. Like it doesn't it doesn't bode well. It's not it's to me like we should take less away from the refs. And it's not that it's the refs are bad people that they're they're probably confused themselves on how to. Yeah, it's just it's human error. It's human error. Right. Like the more you have a rule set and the more you can follow like a, you know, truly follow a book or something that's like pre-written, it's objective. But then as soon as it becomes up to the rest discretion, it's subjective. And like, since when do we want things to be more subjective than objective in any area? Right. I mean, especially in sport. So, yeah, I, I think that that's tough. And and also, you know, I, I would say the other thing that I was that's tough is like. The, the 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 passivity that the way that they're calling passivity is really tough to like to figure out it's like doesn't make so any sense you call passivity with you know it, i saw it in a lot of matches obviously there's a few that hit closer uh, to home than others we're, we're thinking ringer we're thinking ringer yeah right but i, I would say I, I did see another matches where it's not even the other guy the other wrestler's fault but you call somebody for passive right with in the second period and that person goes on the clock um by the time the clock runs out, there's probably a minute left. They're not going to call the other guy for passive, even though he's not planning to wrestle for the next minute because he's probably winning at that point. And rightfully so, right? That guy, if I'm that guy, well, why am I going to go score? You know you're not going to get put on the clock most likely. And they might, like what I've been seeing a lot is like they just stop the match, right? And they say, hey, Blue, like, but then they don't do anything about it, right? Like, and it's so it's just kind of, of stopping the matches too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not on any committees or anything like that. I'm just an athlete. So actually what I have to do is I got to study and kind of see how they're calling things and, and, you know, adjust and plan accordingly. That's just really all I can do at this did point. You, 
Did you see any of the caution ones at the Europeans or not as many? No, not nearly as many. Uh, I, I thought that that was strictly a, kind of a U.S. thing. Like, I haven't seen that really in other any other tournament that I've been in. Yeah. And then the – and this is just more general curiosity. When the first – in the first period, and this first person goes on the shot clock, is that based on, like, our concept of stalling and not stalling, or is it just totally random? So I think they, they put a huge emphasis on who's controlling the center. Um, and that's something that we're not used to in the U S but it's kind of what I think almost foreigners have an advantage on because they understand that rule a little bit more properly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they, they basically look at the first 30 seconds to a minute who's controlling that, that inner circle. Right. And, you know, if, if somebody's circling around that, right. And, and, you know, kind of playing the outside zone, then they're most likely going to get put on the clock first, even like, it happened to me at the Europeans where I was literally finishing taking a shot. But since that guy was just controlling the center, I got put on the clock, you know, and I'd probably taken three shots, three real attempts where that guy hadn't taken any yet, but he was just doing a good job, you know, keeping his weight or keeping his pressure into me while I was taking those shots. So see, that's what I'm saying. Like the shot taking in a folk style match, you see someone take three shots, someone takes none the person shooting is not the one defensive in that scenario, but, but it yeah. makes sense. So if the, if the rule is a controlling center, that's the rule. And I, and I, I feared that like a lot of uh, Americans, including myself, you watch some of the people who go on the shot clock. It's not a huge deal. Cause it's only a point, but it's also just a little confusing how they pick who goes on it. Yeah, and it's very rare that they put a guy on it twice. So like, you know, you see it happen in the first period and it's almost like you, you, you don't want to be the guy or you want to be the guy that gets put on at first, because as long as you're staying in the fight, like, you know, at some capacity, the most likely the other guy is going to go on it in the second period. Right. And you can win a match based off of, you know, one, one off of passivity, which yeah. And it's just, it's <laughs> to me, it's crazy, but it is what it is. What happened? So what was the situation in the Derringer match? They both had a takedown and he got put on the clock late. And that yeah, was the, yeah. that was the end of it basically. Yeah, both had a takedown. Um, you know, Ringer had the last takedown, closing out the period in the first period, um, which I think that that has some relevance to it, right? He was the last real, like, aggressor and finisher. Um, and then he, he like, yeah, a Chance did a good job of, you know, kind of controlling the center at some point. But what was interesting to me is if you go back and watch the match, Alex actually does a great job of, of circling back center while – they are they go to put him on the clock like so as they put him on the clock he's actually the one in the center like it, which to me it's just like you know you're telling him like I, they do this right here like the, the little hand wave like okay action blue like action blue zone blue and then if most of the time if you do your job you're still going to get put on the clock you know it's almost like their minds made up before they even um before you know after that that hand waves it's like it's over and that's kind of what happened to him in my opinion and it's like you know, I, I just would have personally liked to see, you know, I, I don't think it's either wrestler's fault. I would just like to see them duke it out, right, and and have the wrestlers decide the match. That's just, I mean, that's because what ended up happening, like I said, was after that point was called, it just flipped who was being more passive. Because now Chance has no reason to wrestle. He's like, all right, well, now I'm up by a point, and I'm not going to get put on a clock because there's only 40, 50 seconds left. And so I can run away for the next, you know, 50 seconds. Yeah. 
I know it's it's like you said, it's not any wrestler's fault. And I, I don't even like blaming the refs because the refs are in a really tough spot. They're doing it out, out of a passion project a lot of times. We have a shortage of refs, certainly in Illinois. And so I'm not ref bashing. I'm more so bashing whoever came up with this new rule and the the appro- the application of the caution one. It's just, it's tough to watch. And I don't really get it. It's not all the time, but you did see some egregious ones. Um, and we've kind of hit on them, but. I, I was more so just curious on your thoughts on if you're seeing this in Europe or if it's just in America, because you're, you get a lot of exposure to what's going on overseas. Yeah. I, I really didn't see it. Um, the, the only time you'll ever really see a caution one, I feel like they give it as m- more of a consolation point is like uh, towards the end of a match, if you're up by like three or four points and you're just evading wrestling completely, like a guy's pushing you all over the place, they might throw up a caution in one. But I didn't really I, – I haven't seen it to where they've done it and it's decided a match. It's more so been like, all right, you're controlling a steady lead and the ref's like, all right, well, you know, this guy's just running away at this point. I'll give a caution one because I know it's not necessarily going to, like, you know, dictate the match, but, like, it might force him to stay in the fight a little bit more. Unlike my boy Zane Richards, almost had the match taken away from him against yeah, craziness. the great Nick Soriano. I mean – really crazy. I mean, the fact that he gutted that out is just, and got the takedown crazy to me, but that call was like, it was, that was really like, that's, I think that was like the first one where I had like some personal investment in the match and I was really wanting Zane to win. And, and that was like, man, I don't, I don't know where they're going with this. That was like Friday night. And then Saturday, Sunday, watching all the juniors and the cadets, it's, it really stuck out. So yeah, it was interesting, man. Yeah. (laughs) Now, now, as we look forward to final X, I mean, you're you're qualified for the world championships. You've wrestled both guys going to be competing at 86, Brooks and, and David Taylor. Do you do you think those guys are working out in the room? I mean, I know you don't really know, but I'm just curious. Well, what do you think that vibe is like when you have someone in the room with you? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I've never had to deal with that before. Um, I'm sure it's, it's not comfortable, <laughs> you know, especially uh, – you know, being that, you know, it's, it's, it's at this level, like, you know, obviously if you're wrestling at like a youth tournament or something like that, it's different than you put everything, you know, you've basically your whole life has, has led up to this point. And, uh, you know, you've put so much into it that there's a little bit more tension, I feel like. Um, but that's probably something that Penn state's got to get used to. I mean, they got three, three guys now, right. Uh, that are going to be competing or three different matchups that are going to be going down at final X in their own room. Do they, you got North Dake. Taylor. Oh, I'm crazy. Is it two? It's only two. Okay. Yeah. Cause I wasn't there. My, I was thinking, I was thinking, too, but... yeah, I was thinking Ali is at 65 and Rutherford's at 70. Um, so, but yeah, but you have two, two, I mean, two is still ridiculous, right? I mean, <laughs> probably one of the first times that's happened before. So, um, Bacon, North and yeah, it's like, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, only those guys would know and it's just testament to how solid they are. And like you said, it's probably going to happen more in the years to come, but it's, yep. I mean, as a high level competitor yourself, it, it would be a little odd, right? To have a, have the guy you're yeah. going up against in the training room. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how that one goes just because of that. You know, it's, it's like, uh, yeah, like, and, and those guys, obviously, you know, you've never, they've never like the first time they're going to wrestle is that like something like that. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. So for sure. Well, the one thing, the last thing I wanted to hit on is just uh, a tip of the hat again to your to your cousin Cam, man. That dude is one of the biggest gamers I've ever seen when it comes to the NCAA tournament. And he's got some years left, right? Yeah, yeah, he has two more years left. Um, wow. And uh, 
yeah, he, he, uh, he turned it on and I, and I had no doubt that he was going to, but he even impressed me this year. I mean, I, I was like, you know, the, the way he, the year was going for him. I was like, I was going to be happy if he got on the podium because he was dealing with a lot of adversity. Um, you know, he had elbow surgery last June. Um, he had Tommy John surgery. So he skipped basically most of the, the regular season came back, you know, in like middle of January and then the poor guy, you know, bangs up both of his knees, his MCLs, uh, you know, at two different points, one at the big tens, one, you know, during a big 10 dual meet. And so he's walking around like a mummy, you know, all casted up and, and just basically, you know, kind of like a walking target, but, um, you know, he, he, he deserves it. You know, he puts, he puts in, you know, a tremendous amount of work and, the mentality is there. He's a, he's a, he's a dog. I love mean, his confidence. Love yeah, his he's confidence. a dog. And and exactly. And he, he's not going to take any crap from anybody. And I think that that's what you have to be like when you grow up with basically, you know, three, uh, an older brother and two older cousins. And then, you know, all we have a, a plethora of other cousins, but you know, us three being wrestlers and mm-hmm. we just beat up on him his whole life. So, you know, for him, he's, he's like, you know, he's hardened. He's like ironclad, man. That guy, he's, he's, it's hard to break. And and it shows the way that he goes out there and competes. He's like, you know, so dang stingy about oh, every man. point, every, every situation. I was looking at his matches. It was three, two, went over Kennedy, three, two, went over Hamidi, which as an Illinois and that hurt, but O'Toole, you know, that, that we know that match lost in the semis two to one over Shane Griffin and then loses to to Kennedy Monday. It's like those guys are so all of them so good. And every year it just seems like Cam has that that something about the D ones, man, where he shows up. And I just wanted to congratulate you and the family on that because he's one of my favorite guys to watch, man. I love how he goes out there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'll I'll extend the uh the yeah, congrats yeah. to him. Yeah, he he's gonna be pumped. He's I told him the one thing that we're we're uh now the the gap that we have to kind of bridge is, is getting some offense going. We always make fun of him. Cause we're like, dude, your offense is so good. But like, for some reason he turns it on when he needs to, but he makes us all. And, and I used to do this too. My, my mom kind of called me out cause I was the same way, but we, we, we turn it on a little bit or we, we make everybody in the stands nervous until about, you know, late in the third period. And then it's like, you know, you can get a deep breath in after he gets that match winning takedown. We're like, can't you just do that in the first period? You know, like <laughs> your offense is good enough to not make us all, you know, have a minor heart attack, you know, in the stands. So, so mom had to say something to you though. Oh yeah. She called me out because I, I was the same way. I mean, I, and I have a short term memory, I guess, because <laughs> watching him, I'm like, I didn't do that. But I mean, I've had some nail biters in my career, probably, you know, more than I can count on on both hands. So yeah. maybe it runs in the family. I don't know what to say. Man, you talk about nail biters. That I'll never forget the Big Ten finals against Brooks, bro. That match was one of the craziest freaking matches. I still go back and watch it if I'm feeling like I need a little little boost, man. And <laughs> that one comes yeah, back to fun. me. And well, man, it's just good to have you on. And like I said, yeah, and you're a, you're a, you're a friend of mine. You're a friend of the show, and you're welcome on at any time. And we're just huge fans of uh, of you personally and of the Michigan team here here at the podcast, man. So really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Maybe uh, you know, at some point when my wrestling career is done, we'll we'll get and we'll try to rewrite the rules of wrestling because <laughs> I got a lot of things to say. All right, man. Take care, brother. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was presented by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club, who's putting on two camps this summer, 
Go to frogninjawrestlingclub.com if you're in the PA area and want to learn from some of the best in the business. Frogninjawrestlingclub.com. Register for their upcoming summer camps now. We'll see you later this week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!